You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Does prophylactic use of implantable cardioverter, defibrillators, or ICDs early after MI reduce the risk of cardiac death? Our guest today is Dr. Mark Halatke, Professor of Medicine and a Professor of Health Research and Policy at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Halatke also directs the Stanford Kaiser Cardiovascular Outcomes Research Center. Welcome, Dr. Halatke. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to talk about ICDs today. I think we should probably start with some basic information for our listeners. Let's start with probably the most important thing. What subsets of patients merit and benefit from an ICD? Well, the research has been done in several different patient populations with ICDs. And one of the messages of the talk today, I guess, is that it doesn't necessarily work equally well in all such patient groups. So your question is really a good one. First of all, uh, there have been several studies that showed that in patients who've been resuscitated from a cardiac arrest, that putting in an ICD is highly effective at reducing the risk of them dying in the future. Trials have been done in patients who have not yet had a cardiac arrest, but appear to be at high risk for having one. And as you might expect, that so many people who have a cardiac arrest don't survive it, that it may be a good idea to move this intervention upstream, you know, and get in before they have it. And then the question is just, well, who is the right kind of person for that? Studies have been done in several different groups of patients, and the biggest common denominator among those groups is a really low ejection fraction, so under 30% or so after an MI or due to heart failure or both. There have been several studies that show that ICDs are effective in such patients. Our ability to detect that subset of patients that most benefits is part of your interest, right? Part of your area of research? Yes. One of the striking observations about putting in an ICD is that many times patients, it'll never go off. You know, and it can be some years even. So you can put it in and it won't go off. And it's, in that case, it's hard to believe that it did anybody any good. But nevertheless, because it was in there, they were subject to all the risks of having an implanted device. And so the holy grail here is to figure out which patients are the ones who will actually get the benefit and, you know, restrict the implant to those patients and not bother to put it in the patients who really won't use it or need it. And that's been very, very hard to predict. Part of the reason is some of the reasons that someone has a cardiac arrest are just pretty random and unpredictable. There is this idea that you have a substrate, like a low ejection fraction, but nevertheless, there's some kind of a a trigger which could be totally random that comes out of the blue and causes somebody to have the cardiac arrest. So obviously, it's pretty hard to predict the things that are random and out of the blue, and, and the things that we know about are perhaps not strong enough predictors. One of the reasons that there's so much attention focused on this issue is that the number of people in the U.S. alone with severe heart failure or post-MI, there are a lot of people in that population. And, and of course, anytime we talk about a therapy, we need to define the population. The other reason this attracts so much attention is that these devices are costly. Well, that's absolutely right. There's a huge population and they cost a lot of money. So the budgetary impact, if you will, is very high because of those two factors. 
so many people and the high cost per person. So it's a high-stakes game to try and estimate who will actually get most of the benefit. It's a very logical thing to say we ought to consider patients who've had a recent heart attack as being part of that group because there is a risk of high risk of death after an MI, even after patients go home, in the first few weeks to months afterwards. Everyone has said, well, golly, that's a perfect population for putting in an ICD. It's a defined moment, and uh, they're at high risk. So why not go in and put in an ICD before they go home? Well, you're making the perfect transition here to talk about the results of the IRIS trial, IRIS being immediate risk stratification improves survival. Can you take us through that study? Yes, this is an important study that was published in the New England Journal. They screened a lot of patients, mostly done in Germany, for eligibility into the study, and they focused on a group of patients who were known from previous research to be at high risk of sudden death. And that included patients who had a a low ejection fraction, below 40, and a high heart rate when they came in, 90 or above, which suggests that they have a a bit of subclinical heart failure. The other way to get into the study was to have non-sustained ventricular tachycardia on monitoring. Both of these things have been shown to identify patients at pretty high risk. So they actually screened a whole lot of people over there in Germany over the seven or eight years that they did the study, about 63,000 patients, and they found only about 1% of them actually met one or the other of these criteria. And that's actually kind of surprising how few did meet the criteria. And one of the reasons is, I think, that treatments for acute MI have gotten so much better that we have fewer people who have either non-sustained VTAC or have really low ejection fractions if they are treated promptly. So that may be part of the thing that's going on here is that sudden death after MI used to be more common than it is today, which says we're doing something right. How about the results of IRIS compared to previous trials? Well, the main result of the IRIS trial was that they followed people for roughly three years on average. It was a moderate-sized study, only about 900 patients, so about 450 or so in each group. Over the next three years, 200 of those patients died, so the mortality rate was pretty high, actually. But the number of deaths was almost exactly even between the patients who were randomized to get an ICD, 116 patients in that group, and people who did not, 117 in the other group. So it could hardly be more equal in terms of the number of deaths. Interestingly, the investigators had a committee who did not know whether the patient got an ICD or not classify the deaths, and they said that the rate of sudden death was, in fact, a bit lower in the ICD group. So that supported the idea that maybe the ICD is reducing sudden death. But, you know, if you believe that, you have to accept the other side of the coin, which was then the non-sudden deaths were more. The reason for that is unclear. Personally, as somebody who's adjudicated such cases on various event committees and knowing the kind of fragmentary information that we have about those things, I'm kind of skeptical about the classification you know, as sudden, non-sudden, and so on. So I personally just would take it as saying, you know, it really just surprisingly didn't work in that group of people. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Mark Halatke, 
professor of medicine and a professor of health research and policy at Stanford University School of Medicine. We're talking really about comparative effectiveness research on implantable cardioverter defibrillators, or ICDs. Mark, you were reviewing the IRIS trial with us. Can you put the findings of that trial in context in terms of some advice coming out of that to folks making decisions about defibrillator placements? One could say that this particular negative study was just a fluke, and maybe we shouldn't pay as much attention to it. And you can say that the confidence interval on this reduction of death was reasonably broad. I mean, it could be consistent with an important risk reduction, or it could also be consistent with worse outcomes. The basic answer was no, that they were almost exactly equal in terms of mortality. But it did come out exactly the same way as an earlier study called Dynamite, which was a little bit smaller. But it, too, showed early after an MI that putting an ICD in prophylactically, in other words, in people who didn't already have a cardiac arrest, didn't seem to improve sudden subsequent outcomes, even though there was a fair risk of sudden death in that group and the mortality was, in fact, pretty high. One of the possibilities here is that some of the deaths that uh, occur after an MI, in fact, that occur suddenly may, in fact, be due to mechanisms other than a primary arrhythmia. You know, uh, people are prone to reinfarction, for instance, or cardiac rupture in a large MI. So there, you know, maybe some of these deaths that are sudden, in fact, are not due primarily to an arrhythmia and really wouldn't respond to an ICD. And the other thing to say is that you have to remember that there's no free lunch here, that putting in an ICD does involve some complications. And uh, we've heard a lot about those in the past, and putting them in in the case of a fresh infarct is maybe not as good a time to put in a device as later when things stabilize. So most professional societies and people who've looked at this and come up with guidelines would say that for the first 40 days or so after an MI that we should not put in an ICD in people who just, you know, are at risk of sudden death. You know, if they've already had a cardiac arrest, I think that's different. But we should reevaluate them when the dust has settled a little bit after their infarct, you know, about six weeks later. You know, it's such a key point that you make there that uh, the no free lunch comment, for example, we've all taken care of people who have not had a good outcome, either related to the procedure itself, related to recalls. I mean, there are other issues. They're replacing one problem, if you will, with another in some circumstances. Would you like to review for us the complications that someone might experience with an ICD placement? Well, there's quite a few. First of all, it's good to have it put in by somebody who's experienced at putting in defibrillators. There is some evidence that the more experience a hospital and a doctor has in doing procedures, the better outcomes they have. So having someone who's really experienced do it is a first good step. The second uh, is that they can have mechanical complications of putting it in you know, either something can go in the wrong place or there can be a perforation or other acute problems from putting in the device. But one of the other things that happens is that over the subsequent weeks, I mean, these are very complicated devices. A variety of things can go wrong with them. And we've heard about some things like recalls and the leads in some cases aren't working as well as one would like and and so on. So a lot of stuff can happen and, you know, you wouldn't want to have one put in unless you really needed it. So I think that that's the comment about any kind of hardware that you're going to leave into somebody is that, you know, you do really want to make sure that they're going to get enough benefit to make up for that known risk of putting in a device. 
Well, and I'd like to go back to a point that you made earlier about the advances in medical treatment. So in a conversation with a patient, whether they do or do not have a strong indication for an ICD, they certainly will have an indication for medical therapy. What else can we do to help improve health outcomes outside of a device? One of the interesting things is that all of the proven medical therapies that we have after MI improve both sudden death and non-sudden death. So it does suggest that they're either we're not very good at classifying deaths or in fact they have pretty broad effects at reducing all sorts of deaths after MI. And, you know, beta blockers, uh, antiplatelet agents, ACE inhibitors in appropriate patients, statins, all of them are really highly effective medications after acute MI. And in fact, we go now and scorecard people on whether we're giving them to everyone. So if we just do what we know now works, that's very good. And the, the other thing to say is that Patients in the IRIS trial, for instance, actually 88% got prompt reperfusion therapy too, but most of them got acute reperfusion therapy and they got evidence-based treatments when they went home. So they all had all that other stuff covered. And maybe the message here is not that, you know, an ICD is not working. It's that maybe all these other things that we're doing are working and they're working pretty well. We don't necessarily need to add more things to that unless there's a firm indication. And I wonder if you would pile on to my advocacy for a strong cardiac rehab participation along with these other things that we've been talking about. You know, that wasn't looked at in this trial specifically, but I do think there is evidence that a good cardiac rehabilitation does improve outcomes too. You know, there are issues in terms of people having access to that and the ability to get into it and the payment for it. But one of the things I think about cardiac rehab is that it really does you know, improves adherence to these evidence-based treatments over and above the effects it may have uh, from uh, exercise and supervision and attention to diet and so on. And often a surveillance mechanism. It's like an extension of a doc's office so that those patients are under some degree of watchful eye. Yes. I mean, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for that. And the other thing that I did do this myself for a period of time, and one of the things that impressed me was the kind of social support that people also get, which we recognize is an important issue post-MI, that many people are depressed or they feel bad. You know, getting back in, in the stream of things is also a very good thing for people. We've been talking about comparative effectiveness research on ICDs with Dr. Mark Latke. Dr. Latke, thank you so much for being our guest today. Dr. Wright, thank you for having me. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.